on this episode of This Calling. I think when God gives us a passion for something or a calling, we can't ever get out of it. It's kind of always with us. Welcome to This Calling, conversations about vocation. My name is Chris Arnold. I'm a Christian who used to be an atheist, a software engineer who became a priest. These are the calling stories of others, where they are, how they got there, and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I talk to Mr. Cam Walker. Cam is from the Detroit area and serves as a program associate at St. John's Episcopal Church in downtown Detroit, right across from the ballpark where the Tigers play. Before that, he worked for a short period of time at the Washington National Cathedral. Here is our conversation. Hello, Kim. Welcome Hello. To, welcome to This Calling. Thanks for talking to me about, uh, about your life story. Uh who are you? <laughs> what, are you? What are you doing now? Where am I? Who am I? Where am I at? Um, such a loaded question. I know. Well, you live you live in Detroit. That's about all that I know about you. That's the only interesting <laughs> part of me. Um, everything else is going to be a letdown from here, I hate to tell you. Um, so technically, I don't live in Detroit anymore. Um, I live in a suburb of Detroit to save some money. Um, which actually is kind of cool that up until probably 10 years ago, you never would have said you've moved to a suburb of Detroit to save money because Detroit was always cheaper. Um, so it's kind of cool now that Detroit's doing better. And I mean, it's not cool for me that I can't afford to live there, but it's kind of a commentary on, you know, how the economy is doing that a 23 year old can no longer live there. Um, but yeah, so I currently am the program's associate um, if vague titles weren't plentiful enough in churches, um, that is my title. I'm a, the programs associate at St. John's Church in Detroit, downtown on Woodward Avenue. Um, and I was hired there to do, and which we'll get into, um, work that I had done at the National Cathedral in terms of program work. And the neighborhood around us downtown is completely changed in the past seven to 10 years. Um, I remember going downtown as a kid and you went down to go see a baseball game and that was it. Um, but now the neighborhood is growing and there are young families around us, which probably they haven't been there since the 1960s. Um, and even in my confirmation class last year, we were probably the first confirmation class in probably 50 or 60 years where we all lived downtown. So it's, it's cool to work for a place that wants to engage with the change around it. Um, and to help them, you know, part of my job is to help them see what they can offer and be as a church, um, to the downtown community, which is great too. I, they, they think I'm smart and so, Hey, I'll take it. So, You've got them fooled. <laughs> yeah. I've got them fooled. <laughs> jokes on them. So what, what does a program associate do? Right. Like you said, it's a vague title. Yes. Very vague. What does a, what does a week look like or a year or however you want to describe it? Well, I'll let you know um, March 1st that I'll actually have worked there for a full year on March 1st, which is tomorrow, um, tomorrow when we're filming. Yeah. yeah. So I always, I always see that in YouTube videos where somebody says the date, <laughs> no, when we're filming, that's so. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, it's different every week. It's pretty different every day. And I suppose that's what I like. I don't want to do the same thing every day, but I mean, it could be as different from having a um, holiday brass concert come in and having to prep for that. And, you know, it's a lot of event planning. You know, we have a group coming in musicians, we need chairs and music stands. Like, you know, there's a lot of um, unspoken things that you have to think about or be at the next step for. Um, a lot of my work at the National Cathedral was engaging the community with the cathedral in ways that probably non-religious or younger people like myself, um, who typically wouldn't go to a service at a cathedral, trying to engage them in other ways. Hmm. So that's been a lot of my job so far this past almost 12 months has been thinking of ways um, to engage our neighborhood and looking back at things they've done in the past that might have not worked 10 years ago, but that might really work right now. So I know that's probably a vague answer, but I have a vague title. So, <laughs> and just, so, and you're not ordained. I'm not ordained. Right. No. But 23 years old, right. uh, you wouldn't be able to be right. Correct. I think the right. canon say 25. I think to be a deacon, you have to be 24. Okay. And priests, you have to be 25, I believe. Right. Um, tell me about St. John's. So it's right downtown, it's right, by yeah. the, right by the ballpark, right by the... Right in front of Comerica Park. So that's going to make parking fun when there's a home game on Sundays. Yes. So we <laughs> lease our parking lot out to, it's called Olympia Development, um, and they basically oversee the Lions, which are our football team, mm-hmm. which is behind Comerica Park. Um, the, I mean, all of the sports teams, all of the events were across the street on Woodward from the Fox theater, which is a big, you know, performing, um, theater, musical, whatever you want to call it. So having weekday services or weddings or funerals during the week, um, you always have to be looking and seeing, you know, well, this is happening then this is happening then. Um, and I've noticed that our neighborhood, we used to pull from the suburbs and I don't think that's probably going to stay true as Detroit grows because getting downtown is going to be more difficult. I think our, yeah. I, I think our geographic re- region is going to become smaller, but that's a good thing um, because then we'll be pulling from our immediate community. Um, but St. John's is a very interesting place um, in the Episcopal Church, and I say that in the best way possible. They use the 1928 prayer book. Um, no. which I had no idea what that was until the first Sunday I showed up. You know, I expected to see the new, the, the current prayer book. Um, and it's, I don't want to say we're Anglo-Catholic, but we're probably prayer book Catholic. Um, I always like to think of ourselves as probably a, a lower brow version of St. Thomas Fifth Avenue in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know if, they would agree with that, but that that's how I see us. So um, it's a really special place. It's the oldest church on Woodward Avenue as well. So how big is the staff? Ooh. So right now it's father Kelly. Um, so that's one, our office manager, myself, that's three. Um, so probably in-house office staff is three. Um, I'm assuming when I go, God willing, if I go to seminary, um, my job will probably be, perpla- be replaced um, with another ordained person. 
And so I think part of my job also was to probably create a position for an incoming priest and to figure out what the needs are. Um, and it's a lot cheaper to hire a lay person in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Than it is uh, an ordained person. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we come with a lot of baggage. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so I want to hear the whole story of how you wound up in Detroit at St. John's working in this, in this vague role that you have, but mm-hmm. we'll, we'll start much earlier. You didn't grow up Episcopalian. No. Where did you start out? Were you, did you grow up in, in the church in, in some other denomination or some other church? Yeah. So from the very beginning of my life, I did grow up in the church. I was um, baptized as a baby into the Lutheran church, the Missouri Synod um, Lutheran church. And it's funny, it's funny we're doing this now because as we get down the road, this discernment class that I'm taking, we've had to write our spiritual autobiography last week. (laughs) So I literally have all this fresh in my head. Um, Otherwise, I'd probably be uh, searching a little bit more. But yeah, so I grew up the first, I'm going to say five, five to six years of my life in the um, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. Um, And my Parents didn't really come from any particular faith background. My mom, um, you know, the 60s and 70s wasps didn't, she didn't, you know, they believed in God, but they didn't have a formal religious Christian upbringing. Um, And my father came from a Roman Catholic family that he didn't really practice. So they got married and my mom happened into the Lutheran church by a friend. And so looking back, you know, they came into the church in the 90s, and I was born in the mid 90s. So I think in many ways, we were probably figuring out the faith at similar points in our life. You know, they hadn't Mm. raised um, as Christians for, you know, decades and decades prior to, um, to I was born. But yeah, so I grew up in the Missouri Synod Church. My mom's parents um, had joined eventually with them. And they passed away within two years of each other. Um, And we started going to a Lutheran church closer to home. That was probably for a year. And then my mom had another friend who was going to a church closer to us. Uh, Church of the Nazarene is the denomination. And we started going there. And that was my Christian background. And really until I went into college. So So for your parents, was it one of those things where like you got born and they said, well, now we need to find a church home because that's what families do. And I, I don't think so. I, I don't know the timeline so much, but I think my mom had been exploring some different faith backgrounds in, the, in Christianity, um, probably in the late 80s, early 90s. And I think mm-hmm. she settled into the Lutheran church. And I think my dad... Um, realized that he really needed to start going to church. My mom always tells the story of, he said, well, I can't go to the Lutheran church. I'm Catholic. And she's like, you haven't been to mass in 15 (laughs) years, you know? Um, And he had a a pretty scary health scare right after they were married. And I think that probably opened his eyes too and why he started going to church. So by the time I was born, they were probably only going to church regularly, probably for four or five years. Okay. Uh, but I know talking to my mom, it was something she missed in her childhood um, and something that 
her parents actually apologized to her for it later. Um, so, but it was never, I mean, right. Like as a Christian, you go to church, like that's kind of, you know, like surface level, that's what you do to be a good Christian in many ways. Um, and I think probably in the beginning, that's what it was. But I think my parents were able to um, develop a deeper faith after a while and see the necessity of going to church. Um, But I never understood the church of the Nazarene from the Lutheran church. I mean, theologically, that's a really big um, hurdle. hurdle And I've never asked them how they reconciled all that. But I don't know anything about the church of the Nazarene. I grew up in Massachusetts and I don't think there were any, I, I don't think I'd ever heard of the Church of the Nazarene until, I don't know, until I moved to Kansas a couple of years ago. I mean, I, so tell well, me about it. Well, that would make sense because um, they actually are out of, uh, oh man, the Nazarene police are going to come get me. Um, <laughs> I think the headquarters is in Kansas City, Missouri. No. Oh. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm, I think that I think that's what it is. So that's <laughs> that's my answer. So all the podcast fact checkers will right, yeah. angrily if you get it wrong. <laughs> I'm going to be getting rolled on Twitter. So, so tell me about the Church of the Nazarene. What was it like growing up in it? Uh, right. Is it a liturgical church? Is it evangelical? I think, describe describe yeah. this church to me. I grew up in a Nazarene, I mean, the, the Nazarene church that I grew up in un, until college, we probably had 3,000 members. I mean, it, it was oh, a wow. church. Um, and it wasn't, you know, a lot of times a denominational church, like you'll know what denominate, like, you know, it's kind of part of their identity. Like, you know, the Methodists are probably going to talk a lot about Charles Wesley and, um, you know, the Episcopalians are, we're probably going to talk about the prayer book a lot. Um, but in this Nazarene church, it wasn't, it was very non-denominational in the sense that you probably wouldn't have recognized it was a Nazarene church um, unless you saw the sign outside. Um, the identity of being a Nazarene just wasn't so prevalent there. Um, but the Nazarene church is not a liturgical church. They actually, oof. see now I went to a Nazarene university, so I'm really did not get my money's worth out. So the Nazarene church was an <laughs> off branch of the United Methodists. And huh. so, you know, to oversimplify things, the Methodists left the Anglicans because they thought they weren't focused enough on scripture and they weren't mission minded enough, you know, oversimplifying things. That was a large part of why they broke off. Well, the Nazarene church did the same thing to the United Methodists in the early 1900s. Um, hmm they broke off because they didn't think the Methodists were scripturally engaged enough um, or focused enough on mission work. Um, but the church of the Nazarene was founded kind of during um, the temperance movement. So a large part of their doctrine is abstaining from alcohol. And that was a large part of my childhood. I mean, you, you did not, and it's still pretty prevalent as a Nazarene. You just don't drink. Um, it's not mandated of the laity, but if you're in any position of, um, I guess, power, you could say, in the Church of the Nazarene, um, you are absolutely forbidden from consuming alcohol. Hmm. And that was a large, I would say that was a large part of all of our identities growing up, is you didn't drink. 
So, but I mean, scripturally, they are, they're pretty solid. Um, I, I do have to say, I give them, uh, I, I probably don't give them enough credit, but they, they are the reason that my faith is probably so solid as it is. Um, they really focused on, you know, the basics in terms of the Bible and your relationship with Jesus, which I later, you know, was kind of longing for some more stuff theologically as I got older. But I, at my old parish um, that I started going to in Illinois during college, I was making all my Sunday school kids memorize the books of the Bible. And that was like out of, you know, the nature of this Episcopal church. I had a parent ask me, well, why? why would they need to know that? And I was like, Ooh, we've got lots of work to do here. So, but it was an overall um, very positive experience. That's where most of my friends to this day um, are, you know, came out of the Nazarene church. I went to a Nazarene university um, for college. So what university? Olivet Nazarene university in Bourbonnet, Illinois, 45 minutes South of Chicago. Bourbonnet. Bourbonnet. What a great, name the great thriving metropolis you know that it is not really but um that it, that also was a great place too did you grow up in illinois no i grew up um in michigan probably just okay. about an hour north of detroit yeah so i'm pretty much home um hmm. when i came to detroit i was no more than an hour away at all from uh, from where i grew up hmm. okay so you went to a nazarene university Mm-hmm. What did you study? I studied political science. Oh, did you think you were going to go into politics? No. Everyone would always ask me uh, if that was my intention. And I knew absolutely um, to this day that that was not my, um, not my calling. And actually, I don't really have even a remote amount of passion for politics, which is ironic. That's what my major was. Um, but I wanted to go to law school or thought I wanted to go to law school. And that was just kind of the easy, well, maybe not easy, but that was the stereotypical major that you would get to go into law school. So, so that was your first inkling of a calling law school that you, you thought you might want to what be a trial lawyer or legislative lawyer. You know, I, I always thought, Probably in my heart of hearts, I probably thought I was going to be a judge. Um, I love, still to this day, um, I love American history and anything to do with the Constitution. um, I'm a total nerd about. But I never really gave it, I never really gave it much thought as to what type of law I wanted to practice. It was, well, I had always said I wanted to be a lawyer, and it seems like I've been good at all of this government political stuff that I've been studying, um, even to the point where I told myself that if I passed the LSAT, which is the law school admissions test, that would be God pretty much telling me that I was supposed to go to law school. And fun (laughs) fact, that's not how God works. So (laughs) (laughs) did you take the LSAT? I did take the LSAT and I passed and I, you know, that's, I went to law school. That was, that was God. I told God how he was going to talk to me and surely I figured that must be yeah. That, God, that must be how it works. God has many, many advisors on this planet. <laughs> A whole council of people telling God how to do God's work. Yep. I, I apparently was one of them. So there you are at school. 
studying political science, mm -hmm. living your Nazarene life, living my Nazarene life, somehow not drinking, not drinking. Not drinking. <laughs> uh, somehow you wound up Episcopalian and at the National Cathedral. Yes. Totally a left turn. Describe, describe that turn. So growing up, I had always, my dad came out of a Roman Catholic family. So growing up, you know, on the periphery, there was always the Roman Catholic church because of funerals or weddings or baptisms or what, you know, whatever. Um, and from the earliest memories that I have, I was always drawn to how distinctly different it was from the way that we worshiped. Um, I, I don't really have a memory of worshiping in the Lutheran church. I know it was liturgical, but I was never, you know, by the time we left in that first five or six years of my life, I didn't have the, you know, the cognitive function to realize, oh, well, you know, this is what I love. And, and I didn't have anything else to compare it to. I, you know, I wasn't going to an evangelical church and comparing a liturgical church, you know, it was beyond what my, probably my mental capacity was at that time. But as I got older, um, being in the Nazarene church, I, I just always remember being drawn to the liturgy and um, the beauty and the piety that it um, was forming in the people in the pews. And I think probably in my heart of hearts, I probably always knew I was going to end up in a liturgical tradition for as long as, you know, I was able to think those thoughts, but fast forward into high school. Um, and I would actually, this is so funny. I hope my mom watches this because she doesn't know this. I would actually sneak out of the house on Saturdays, Saturday evenings. I would lie to my parents and tell them I was going to hang out with friends and I would go to Catholic mass. That oh was, my goodness. that was the level of, uh, um, degenerative behavior that I had in high school. And they probably actually, thought you were going out drinking, <laughs> but it's worse. You were going to mass. They, they might've preferred it actually. Not really, <laughs> but I, I don't think they would have certainly been happy about that at the time. Um, but actually when I got my license and I could drive by myself, the very first place I went to was Catholic mass. Wow. Uh, and so I was, you know, the Catholic church was still in my periphery. I was still Nazarene. And, um, but I remember going to my parents in high school and telling them, you know, when I'm on my own, I'm probably going to become Catholic. Well, that didn't really go over well. Hmm. Um, my dad's side of the family, as great as they are, were never very devout Roman Catholics. Um, so I think that really was my mom's largest experience with Roman Catholicism. And so in her experience, she saw that it had kind of developed a sense of apathy to the faith, um, which you and I, more so you probably know that that generation was also coming out of a lot of changes in the church and people were also struggling with what they believed at that time as well. So I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, you know, the children of the sixties and seventies in all the churches, you know, kind of had a, a lot to deal with, but yeah, um, there's there's just a lot of Roman Catholics, and I know uh, right. my mom and and my sister and her kids still live in the Boston area. And my sister uh, was is Roman Catholic. I don't think she goes very often, but she converted um, around about the time that she got married. Mm -hmm. And so you know, and they've had all, 
probably the the among the worst of the the regions of the country when it comes to the clergy oh, sex abuse yes. scandals but numerically uh the so the largest group of religious identity um in the boston area is roman catholic the second largest group is ex-roman catholics like disaffected roman catholics who aren't involved in it anymore but like your dad there's just still this the sense that like i don't go to church but it's the catholic church that i don't go to right, right. Um, and they would never become some other kind cool. of christian but they're not going to set foot you know as as long as the hierarchy is as messed up as it is or whatever their 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 issue is and i understand that i'm not throwing shade at that but I guess so. It it means that it's you have a really high likelihood of running into people whose religious expression is that they are Roman Catholics who are not observant, right? And so if you, I yeah, I I would guess that if you come from uh, a church where membership means a certain level of involvement and discipleship and and participation and uh, assent like active assent to the truth claims of that faith, then yeah, you would look at all these kind of lapsed Roman Catholics and say, well, to be Catholic is to be kind of religiously lazy. And of course that just ignores all these thousands of um, very active, very committed uh, Roman Catholics. But I, I guess that's true for every religious group that you wind up with people who are more and less active. Right, right. I, I keep running into like people who tell me, like when I go visit my grandmother out in California, occasionally she likes me to wear my collar when we go out to dinner so that she can kind of show me off to her neighbors. And I keep running into all these people who come up to me and say, oh, you're an Episcopal priest. I grew up Episcopalian. And I say, great. What do you mean you grew up Episcopalian? You're not anymore? Nope. They haven't been in years but they have very fond memories of the Episcopal church. And then mm-hmm. I tell them that their movement away from the church is one of the reasons why the, the church seems to be dying. And then they get depressed and yeah. cry. And... Yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they cry. Hopefully they feel yeah. guilty enough to, you know, we need to work on that. We need some more, some more of that Catholic more guilt, guilt. In the Episcopal church to, you know, to yeah. chain, them, chain them to the church so they can't. <laughs> I don't really say that to them, but I, I wonder that. I've run into a lot of former Episcopalians, and then they, they tell me that they, you know, feel bad because it seems as though the church is struggling. And I say, well, yeah, because people. That's what happens when people leave. leave. Um, yeah. And I can't make them not leave. So it is what it is. If we could have like like a, an Episcopal mob to get people, you know, get Ooh. people back into church, that would be. Mm. Just kind of throw a bag over their heads and throw them in the back of a van. and Yeah, just take them into a church so we can boost that average Sunday attendance. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Duct tape them, drop them in the front yeah, pew. Yeah, absolutely. It's always empty, that front pew. Oh, always. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, it's amazing, so it's amazing to me though, really quick, how many people I know now that I've become an Episcopalian who either used to be an Episcopalian um, and are whatever now, or people that still self-identify as Episcopalian but probably haven't gone to church in ten years. So yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, I have family now. They, 
I think they might agree with this, who probably think of themselves as Episcopalian now, probably because I'm, you know, in the process. So, you know, they're, well, we like the Episcopal church. So we'll, you know, that's, we'll do that, whatever that is. So. Yeah. The number of funerals that I've done for people who I, I, I haven't, I hadn't heard to them at all until they died and some relative of theirs showed up and said, well, she was a member of your church. So I said, well, I've been here four years now and I've never heard of her at all. Never right. seen her. Was she homebound? Was she, you know, I feel bad. Did, should we have been bringing her communion this whole time? Oh no, no. She was, she was always out, you know, playing bridge and yep. going to her hair appointments and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, The Pew Research Center (laughs) did a study on church attendance by denomination several years ago, and Episcopalians have the worst church attendance. Hmm. The worst. And I mean, if you look at big churches like, uh, I think one time I was looking at the cathedral in Atlanta, and I think they have two or 3,000 members on the roll, but their average Sunday attendance is like 500. You know, it's just got to rope them back in. Yeah, but... I don't even remember where we were at now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you were sneaking out on Saturday oh, evenings out, to go to yeah. Catholic, Catholic Mass. Man, what bad behavior. Um, <laughs> it's so, I, I really, I really was. My parents really did luck out with me. I was so well behaved. I still think I am, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I, I was kind of sneaking out. Um, to go to mass. I had told my parents I wanted to become Catholic. I don't really think they liked that. You know, my mom, her main experiences with Catholicism was with lapsed Roman Catholics. Um, And we came out of the Missouri Synod Lutheran church, which is very, very, I don't want to say anti-Catholic, but they're definitely not pro-Catholic. So we had a, I would say my parents probably had some of that, um, theological baggage too. And then my dad um, went to a parish where the priest there did end up getting accused of, you know, abusing kids. So lots of bad Catholic experience. Um, So, but my senior year of high school, I started taking a Brit lit class and that's, that's really what sealed the deal. She was actually, my Brit lit teacher was a Missouri Synod Lutheran. um, And she's the one that probably made me become an Episcopalian. Um, but I realized all of the literary works that I was studying in this class, all of the authors were devout Anglicans. So, you know, John Donne and Geoffrey Chaucer and, you know, the list goes on. Um, And then I remember we studied a very small part of the Book of Common Prayer. Um, I don't remember what version, you know, probably one of the original ones. And I remember being drawn just to simply how beautiful it was. And we kind of were studying the poetic cadences found in the book of common prayer. Um, And I remember thinking, well, if they can come up with this, you know, if this is how they worship, if this is how much effort is put into how they worship, I can only imagine, you know, how awesome they are. Um, And that was in high school. And it took a little bit of linking to realize what, how, you know, the Anglicans and the Episcopalians and how those, um, Mm -hmm intersected because I kind of knew what Episcopalians were um, as I was, you know, thinking about becoming Roman Catholic. I knew they were kind of like wannabe Catholics. 
Um, so I didn't really have a good probably mindset about them. Um, but then at that time too, I think I, I was just really interested in discovering more about them. I'm the type of person that if I don't know something, I'll probably spend five days on Google learning about something really obsessed with it. Um, so that's what I was doing. And I realized, wow, I'm like really into the, you know, these, these Episcopalians, I'm, you know, kind of an Anglophile myself. Um, and they kind of seem, you know, there were parts of the Catholic church that I really, really loved and parts that I didn't. And, you know, growing up, um, in evangelical for most of my, uh, most of my life, there was a lot of focus on scripture and, you know, personal relationship with Jesus that I really kind of was bringing to the table with me too. And it seemed like in my research, the Episcopal church, um, kind of, you know, was that via media that we love to use kind of, you know, I was able to have both of those. Um, so I went to college and there was actually funny enough. This is, this is my preface to say I might still become Roman Catholic. Not really, but I remember telling God, okay, God, if you want me to become Roman Catholic, you're going to have to make it super easy at this Nazarene school for me to go to a Catholic church. Well, lo and behold, there was a Catholic church right next to my dorm. I mean, within, (laughs) within 20 steps, there was a Catholic church. Um, so I went a little bit my freshman year, but by that time had pretty much realized I I didn't really, um, super feel like the Catholic church was for me anymore. Um, and I just remember still like, you know, um, I think when God gives us a passion for something or a calling, we can't ever get out of it. It's kind of always with us. So still doing a lot of research in the Episcopal church. Um, What was it about Catholicism that was beginning to fade for you? I think a lot of it, and I would discover this later on. I took a couple of theology classes while I was at college, but I started realizing that that a lot of their theology was grounded in, well, because we say so. It wasn't, I started noticing there wasn't a great apologetic for a lot of their theology. Um, In terms of social issues, you know, I, I was a political science major and, you know, we're studying social issues. We're studying abortion and contraception and, um, And in the Catholic church, there wasn't really a, in my experience, you know, it's probably changed in almost 10 years, but maybe seven years. I I just never experienced an argument for a lot of social issues that I felt like um, were A, scripturally bound, and B, were actually healthy for the people spiritually. Um, I had some Catholic friends growing up and I'm like, well, why do you eat fish on Friday in Lent? Well, because we're supposed to. But, but what, like, where, well, they, we, we do. Right? We think we go to hell if we don't. We don't. Like, it just, there was a lot of, well, because we're told to do. Um, and I'm the type of person that if you tell me to do something, I want to do the exact opposite. Um, so, and then, like I said, later on in college, I took a couple of theology classes in terms of the early councils of the church. And I remember kind of 
we followed the Bishop of Rome and kind of one day he was like, all right, I'm in charge now. And I'm like, Whoa, wait, wait a second. Like this is like, and everyone bought that. <laughs> like, well, no, <laughs> like, like nobody questioned. Um, so, um, yeah, that was, and and I think a lot of it too was I felt, I, I, I do feel like God was calling me into the Episcopal church. Um, I think that that passion that I had for Catholicism kind of helped me search out, you know, where I stood in a lot of things. But I think that road ultimately, you know, was being led into the Episcopal church. Um, I like to joke and say the Catholic church made me a good Episcopalian. Um, Which I also think, somebody told me this once, I think that it has a lot to say, my journey into the Episcopal Church has a lot to say with the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I was pretty low-hanging fruit for them, and the fact that they never managed to to get me, so to speak, um, I think kind of is a commentary on where the Catholic Church is right now itself. But don't get me wrong, I greatly admire um, the Catholic Church, but... So yeah, I was in college and by that time I was pretty much dis disassociated with evangelicalism. Um, I did just you, did you, so my wife uh, grew up Baptist with a sort of army chaplain for a dad and then right. she went to a Baptist university and she got there and she said, you know, I, I thought I knew what Baptist meant. And now here I am in this Baptist university where everybody's like, competitively Baptist mm-hmm. and everyone's trying to like out Baptist everyone else. And she said, wow, this is not for me. And she started to, right. to move away from that. Did you have a similar experience at the Nazarene university where you started to like see Nazarene Christianity <laughs> in a different way? Absolutely. My, we, we were required to take a religion class every year. Um, and I took a couple more just because um, I, I found them interesting. But I remember my freshman year, we had a professor who was Christian formation and basically unpacking the, you know, kind of the essentials of the faith, you know, the creeds and what that means. Um, and he was very orthodox, but he would challenge us on every point that we made. And I started discovering that in probably my freshman year, I probably really didn't know what I believed. Um, My faith had pretty much been deconstructed in that class um, and probably for the better. Um, So, you know, I was really searching out, well, why don't we have more books of the Bible today? Or, you know, why this socially, why do most Christians believe this Um, and things like that. So, and I think freshman year, I actually was scaring my mom theologically just probably by questions I had. Um, I was probably bordering on the heretical, um, but I was really, really exploring what it meant to be a Christian. And to me, in my experiences, the Church of the Nazarene did not capture the whole the whole beauty and tradition of the church. Um, in many ways, it's a great denomination and very focused on higher education. I mean, we learned, um, what's the word I'm looking evolution in our science classes in the Nazarene university. I went to, I mean, it was without question. That's what we would learn. But I remember comparing it to someone, you know, if you have, if you're an American 
you know, you have to know the history of the United States. You kind of have to know what the Constitution is. You have to know where you came from. As a Christian, I didn't know where I came from. You know, I didn't know what got us to this point. I didn't really know what was going on with all these denominations. And I really wanted to get back to, you know, a lot of people know, oh, we want to go back to the ancient church. I probably, in that time, probably really did. Um, You know, a denomination starting at 1907 on didn't really seem like, you know, a lot happened before that. Um, And I, I realized that I was missing out on a lot of, um, you know, theologians and saints of the church, you know, we can go and read Beth Moore and Francis Chan, you know, but nobody's reading Augustine or, you know, nobody's learning about, um, in Detroit, blessed Solanus Casey, like no, nobody's learning about the people that have gone before us. And that really was a concern that I had, um, even in my Nazarene university and the theology classes, maybe Bible classes that I was taking there, there was really no emphasis on it. And I think as, as historically focused as I am on things, I think I realized that I had to have that. I had to have that knowledge for me to be happy um, in the church, wherever that might've been. So, but I guess to turn a long story into a less long story, um, we, we would have a revival every year, which is a very evangelical thing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, every semester we would have a campus revival and we had extra chapel services um, and the whole thing. In my sophomore year, I couldn't tell you who was speaking, but he was talking about how we take and take and take and take from the church, but we never give back. You know, we never are willing to give back to the church. And I thought up until that point, I had a pretty negative attitude towards towards the church. And I had benefited greatly from the church that I grew up in, in terms of, you know, um, learning about the Bible and going on mission trips and just having all of these wonderful family and um, family friends and friends of, you know, my age that um, really helped me grow in the faith. So I was thinking and thinking and thinking, and I remembered my freshman year, I had gone to the Episcopal church in town once, um, but wasn't really, like you kind of said, was kind of dying. You know, there weren't a whole lot of people there. So I remember laying in bed my sophomore year of college and thinking, you know, all right, God, you know, you've convicted me about this. Where is it you want me to go? What what is this you're leading me to? Well, the Episcopal church I had gone to freshman year once popped back into my head. Um, And I was like, all right, I'll go again. Um, So I went that Sunday and from then on, you know, it, it's history. So. So what were those next steps for you? Did you get confirmed, received, uh, any of that? <laughs> no. Um, no. I'm, God's going to strike me with lightning. Um, I was receiving a scholarship from the Nazarene church every year, you know, oh. to against my tuition and I didn't want to mess that up. Um, you know, so in all intensive purposes, I was still, I guess you could say socially a Nazarene. Um, no, I didn't get confirmed there. Um, I think I, I still didn't want to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I wanted to make sure that's where I was supposed to be. Um, 
actually I was only confirmed in fall of, I was confirmed at St. John's and not too long after I started going there. Um, but they really were the ones that um, loved me into the faith. Um, I brought, I brought through those doors a lot of spiritual baggage. Um, and our, our priest there who now he's gone to a parish in Santa Barbara, California. Um, he did a lot of, lot of work, um, to heal me. And I don't even think he realized what he was doing at the time. Um, but I was teaching, you know, small, you know, little Episcopal church. I was teaching Sunday school. I was on the vestry. I was a sexton for a short time. Um, I was on the, I was the one person altar guild. Um, so, and in doing all those things, all those duties, whatever you call them, really made me fall in love with the church again. Um, to the point where that, that place, St. Paul's in Kankakee, like good golly grief. If I, if I talk about them too long, I'll probably start getting emotional because I mean that, that place probably I'm probably will still experience or discover as I get older, really how impactful that place was to me. So, what sort of things were being healed? Right. So I had a lot of anger towards God. Um, I was angry in the sense that I was spiritually different than everyone around me. I mean, growing up, I was always, I don't want to like make my, make myself out to be the victim here, but I, I, it was all, I was all, what's the word I'm looking for? I was always aware that I wanted something different from the church in terms of all my friends. You know, all my friends were talking about the most recent um, Christian, modern Christian worship song. Um, And I'm like, hey, let's talk about those early church fathers. You know, I was always, (laughs) I was really different. And I was kind of made to feel guilty um, that I wanted those things. Um, you know, well, why aren't you just happy with your relationship with Jesus? And why don't you just want to read the Bible? Why do you need all that other stuff? Um, I had a lot of guilt, even to the point where my freshman year of college, I forced myself to go to the nearest Nazarene church, basically telling myself, you need to get over this. Like you need to, you know, fit the bill, you know, you need to make it about Jesus. You need to get rid of all that other stuff and stop making it about you. So I had a lot of, probably a lot of guilt and anger towards God going in there. Um, And then I also, I also probably was confused by what it meant to be a Christian. Um, My parents still to this day are very evangelical and pretty conservative. Um, So I was brought up, you know, things were very black and white. You know, we don't drink. Um, we don't go see bad movies. Um, you know, we go to church on Sunday and on Wednesday and we read the, you know, very social issues where there was no grayscale. And suddenly I'm in this Episcopal church, like what's going on here? Like, you, you know, um, and then even with my own sexuality, um, I was still, still really grappling with that probably well into my senior year of college. Um, 
and there was a lot of healing at that parish as well. Um, when one of our Eucharistic ministers, you know, was a married lesbian woman and she's who I received um, the blood of Christ from every Sunday for the most part. And, you know, as a thinking you're conservative, you know, black and white, you know, my brain's still in that mindset, you know, Uh you know, receiving Jesus, um, you know, from a woman who I loved, but I couldn't reconcile, you know, I want to say her lifestyle because that makes me mad, but you know how she was living. So it, it, that, that place did a lot for me. Um, And I think, I think too, I was probably, by the time I went in there, I was probably border bordering on just becoming an atheist because I was just so fed up with um, the church in general Um, to the point where, you know, well, God made me this way. And speaking of a lot of different things, um, and I can't seem, the church has told me I can't really seem to have any one of these. Um, so, you know, screw the church, heck with all of this, you know. Um, most of my confusion and um, anger was around things that the church had said or done. So, I, yeah, I remember the first Sunday I went there, my sophomore year, after the first time I visited freshman year, and it, I, I think I knew walking in there that I was going to be changed. Um, I had this feeling that things were going to happen here, um, some pretty big things. So, And they did. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yes. No, plot twist, nothing happened. No. <laughs> still Nazarene. Yes, I, I'm still Nazarene, no. surprise. Uh, um, like no, that. you're not. You you wound up at the at the National Cathedral. How right. does that happen? I mean, Kankakee is a long way from yes. Georgetown. It is. So, um, you know, in my Episcopal church, and I, I'm really, like, when I'm into something, I'm all in. Um, it's, you know, it becomes a part, I'm like obsessed. Um, and so soon everyone, you know, I'm at the small evangelical campus and, um, I'm on student council. Like I'm relatively, you know, people know who I am. And I, it was, I think it was kind of novel to everyone that I was like the not Nazarene. Um, you know, I'm the Episcopalian. Um, and so, you know, every, I think everyone got a kick out of it, including my poor roommates who probably had to put up with a lot of um, like me listening to hymns. Um, But so my senior year, I had essentially by my first semester, I had finished all my credits to graduate from my major. I just needed to fill empty credits. Um, While this program, a bunch of these uh, evangelical schools have a kind of study abroad program that has all sorts of different um, different study uh, different programs all throughout the world and there was one in DC and it was focused in strategic communication and so you would go there you would live there kind of like in dorms there'd be like a cohort of 30 people that you'd study with and live with and eat with. Um, but you were also expected to go get an internship to fill your other time. Um, so, you know, everyone in this program is, you know, on the Hill or, you know, in some congressman's office or some 
you know, awesome nonprofit. Um, some of the things some of my friends did there were really, really cool. Um, and I knew that was not for me. Um, I had known about the National Cathedral, you know, kind of being the Mecca for Episcopalians um, and being a, as obsessed with the Episcopal Church I was. I was like, well, I'm not doing this program unless I can intern at the National Cathedral. Um, so I, I think I just got onto their website and emailed every email that was listed, um, a little blip about myself. And uh, they you harassed were, yourself into yeah, I harassed myself into getting in there. <laughs> Um, and eventually the director of programs, um, she emailed me back and, you know, I had an interview and, um, if I give you an interview, will you stop bothering? Yeah, right. I think, I honestly think our interview was probably an hour and a half long. I mean, so, and, and again, I fooled them. They were foolish enough to, to take me. So, um, but that, that in itself was such a formative experience. Um, doing program work and um, actually got to shake Bill Clinton's hand. So that was kind of cool. But uh, so did that mostly revolve around all the kind of non-regular church service? Oh yeah. Events that happened there. So not even terms of events was I in charge of, it was all of the different activities that we have going on outside of worship. We have a week, um, in February where they take all the chairs out of the nave of the cathedral. And that whole week, um, is different events that are going on in the cathedral to engage again, these people, these people that otherwise would never step foot into the national cathedral. Um, so one Sunday night or one night we would have a laser light show in the nave with this amazing music and people would bring blankets and lay down and watch, you know, this laser light show or, um, all these different all these different events. Um, and so being able to do that and, uh, um, being able to, uh, kind of be a secretary, I guess, for kind of help, uh, Gene Robinson, Bishop Gene Robinson with a Bible study there. Um, just, just so many great experiences. I think truly the best was just every day being able to within steps walk into the great choir and sit there for even song. Um, and I didn't realize like, you don't, you don't know what you have till it's gone. Um, I didn't realize how lucky I was. Um, and there'd be moments I, I wouldn't even realize it where I would just be like sobbing, um, sitting in, sitting in the, um, choir stalls, listening to even song. Um, and looking back, that was probably a very healing experience for me in the sense that kind of spiritually we were all on the same page, right? We're all Episcopalian. We're all, you know, super geeked out of, right? Why would you work for the national cathedral if you weren't like an Episcopal nerd? Um, And I just remember that semester just feeling so close to God. Um, I might've, I, I truly in my life so far, I might have not felt that close to God before or since. Um, mm-hmm. just, just this sense that, um, I was where I was supposed to be. Um, it, I felt very, very fulfilled, um, being there in a way that, you know, as much as I love my work at St. John's in a way there that I even don't feel at St. John's. Um, I think, I think there was a lot of, um, 
a lot of formation and a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm opening doors probably that were, that were happening for me that would eventually lead me really to where I am today to the point that my last day there, um, you know, I had to go back and graduate from college and then go to Detroit to go to law school. Um, I kind of two bosses and one of my bosses, the vicar there, her name is Dana. Um, the last day there, she looked at me and she said, why are you, why are you leaving this place? They had offered me a job and I had turned it down to go to law school. I said, well, what do you, I'm going to law school. Like what, what else am I going to do? She goes, she goes, are you silly? She goes, I guarantee you. She put her finger right in front of my nose. She said, I bet you a hundred dollars in three years, you will either be a priest or you'll be in the process of being a priest. And it was like, all of a sudden, which we haven't touched on, all of a sudden, this whole like wave of emotion came over me. All of this stuff that I had kind of kept behind locked doors or didn't let myself think about um, kind of just all happened at once. And so it was kind of with that reawakening that I went into law school. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Tell me about this tidal wave of emotions. What, right. what were the top five <laughs> Three emotions. Probably one of them. I was, on for you. I, I was mad. Um, huh. I was mad that I just couldn't go to law school without it, you know, God having to come in and screw it all up. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, a lot of it was mad. I think a little bit of it was just probably a feeling of not being worthy enough. Um, to the point where I, I, I still think to some degree in my spiritual life, I think every now and then I'll think, well, why can't it just be about my relationship with Jesus? Why do I, why do I have to make everything like, you know, why do I need the book of common prayer? Or, um, so that, that sense of not being worthy enough, is that because you think priests are all super people or because you still cling to this idea that you're not good enough? Probably the la- probably, well, probably the feeling that I'm not good enough. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I probably still grapple with a little bit of, well, why can't I just, why, why can't I just be okay with me and Jesus and, you know, the Bible? Why can't, why can't I have, you know, um, I, I still probably in my heart of hearts still feel a little bit of guilt, um, uh, surrounding that, but, but it was kind of, it, it literally felt like, like I was pushing up against a door. And then finally, you know, if you do something enough, your muscles become numb and you kind of forget about it. So I kind of had forgotten that I was pushing back this door and all of a wow. sudden it was like, it just like all came, um, cascading over me. Um, and it really, that experience if I didn't have that experience, I would probably be still be in law school. I would assume I could be wrong. Um, but then from then on, I was hyper aware of um, the fact that I probably shouldn't be going to law school, which was terrifying because I was months away from starting. So there seems to be this common thread all the way through your life where you're surrounded by scripted expectations. Yes. Like you've got to just listen to the latest jars of clay mm-hmm. song and just 
so what of a what a what are all of your classmates from high school doing now? Just like working ordinary jobs in the town where you grew up, right? Yeah, for the and most part. You're the one who's kind of been called into this adventurous life. And it's like constantly right. you are like, well, I'm just going to settle into this thing that I've got planned. Exactly. And then God just <laughs> rips you right right through it. Yep. Uh, so this seems to be a repeating pattern in your life. Oh, absolutely. And I'm the type of person that loves, I'm a creature of habit. Yeah. Um, so it, it's felt like there, you know, I get settled into a point of my life. I'm comfortable with it. And then I get yanked out. Yeah, it um, reminds me of all of the, the complaints from the, the Israelites when Moses leads them into the Holy land and they turn around and they say, well, why can't we go back to Egypt and like die in slavery? Oh, absolutely. Because that's what they know. Right. Right. But Moses is like, come on, come on. You guys like, this is our chance. This is freedom. Right. But you want to go back and live your familiar life. Right. There the are moments where known. I would just love to go back to college and say, heck with all of it, you know, I'll go back and be ignorant. And, you know, it was easier mm. then. So. Good luck with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you started in law school and then realized that law school is always a huge mistake. Always. No, it's. I've I've known some perfect, some of my best friends are lawyers. Uh, um, I nearly went to law school at one point, mm-hmm. but uh, didn't. Um, I went actually when I was uh, at the very end of college, I was dating a woman and she was thinking about going to law school. So the two of us went up together to Golden Gate School of Law in San Francisco mm-hmm. for like, there's like a, uh, visit the school day. And uh, so we went up and there were like 150 people there just checking out the school. And we met a bunch of professors and we sat in this big class and it was like um, like a sample of what a first year law school class would be like with uh, the cut and thrust right. of intellectual inquiry. And we came back and she had been the one who uh, was interested, the reason why we'd made this trip. And I had just gone along to get out of town for a while. Right. And we came back from that trip with her saying, I have no interest. I've, I've, I've checked it out. No, I'm going to do something else. But I came back and I was like, law school seems great. I'm going <laughs> to look into it. Um, and then I wound up as a software engineer. So what are you going to do? Right. Um, so you started in law school and lasted how long? A semester. Good. Good for you. <laughs> Woo. I, um, did you enjoy it even though you knew that you were not going to stay or? No, no. Um, okay. I was, I was miserable. Hmm. Um, I, I pretty much knew the first day of class that this was a mistake. Um, but I, I didn't let myself think that right. Again, I'm pushing it, yeah. pushing it back. The um, mistake because the vicar had planted this priesthood question in your head. This, or, this question that had been planted that I had experiences in the past that I was still, that I thought I had, you know, which I'll get into here in a sec, but that I thought I had, collectively agreed with God that he w- he wasn't 
he was confused um, <laughs> that he was wrong and I was right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm in law school and I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm not super excited about it. Um, and it turns out that four out of my five professors are Episcopalian. Um, one of them went through the ordination process, but then didn't end up getting ordained. Um, and I have to park in a parking lot of an Episcopal church every day and walk past an Episcopal church to go to law school. <laughs> that, so like, that is even better than getting to college and realizing that you're 20 feet away from a Roman Catholic church. I mean, right. this is... Right, which kind of feels like, you know, that prayer that I had, I don't know if it was prayer, but me telling God, you know, if you're going to make me Catholic, you better make it really easy. Mm. He was probably fulfilling, you know, an unspoken or maybe an unconscious prayer request that I had that was, all right, if this is what you want me to do, you better make it blatantly obvious. Um, or if it wasn't your prayer, I bet there were some people at the cathedral who were praying. Oh, that. absolutely. Um if he's going to go through this mistake of going to law school, right. at least surround him. So, yeah, make it terrible. <laughs> this Episcopal hedge of protection. Yeah. Uh, but near the end of that semester, and I guess I should ask my friends from law school. I don't really remember that clearly. I, I remember I had vocalized a couple times that I was kind of wondering if this wasn't the thing for me and if I should be a priest or, you know, try to become a priest. Um, And near the end, my friends were like, what are you doing here? They're like, we all know this isn't for you. Um, And it took my one friend kind of before finals, slamming her hands down. She's Jewish, slamming her hands down on the table in the library and going, Cam, you're supposed to be a priest. Like what, like what else do you need to like, um, and by that time, one of my professors who had gone through the ordination process was kind of counseling me um, through all of this. She actually wanted me to stay, though, um, and ride out a full year. But when I got my student loan information back from that first semester, um, I was like, oh, no, I am not racking up any more uh, student debt to then, you know, effectively try out, you know. This. Well, yeah. So <laughs> it that that in itself was an eye-opening um, experience. And then over that, you know, going into the second semester, my very best friend, his mom, you know, one of this, these best friends of mine that I grew up in the Nazarene church with and went to college with and lived with. And, um, you know, I've known him for 19 of my 23 years. And his mom was effectively my mom. Um, she passed away suddenly of a heart attack. Um, and it was very really in my life, it was the first major loss that I've had. Um, and that opened my eyes to how fragile our lives are. And I remember sitting in the hospital thinking, I'm doing law school because I said I was going to go to law school. I'm not doing it for any other purpose than, you know, I don't want to make myself out to look like I'm a quitter, I guess. And I thought life is too short. Like, and that's really when I had the, the experience of, like I was finally living my life for me. Um, I wasn't doing it to make anyone else happy or um, look impressive. So that's when I left law school. Um, and then I thought I thought I was going to move back to my college town and be um, an admissions counselor. 
And this was by, so I left law school in January. We're like end of February here. And I think my priest, Father Kelly at St. John's, I think he realized that I kind of was getting ready to leave. And he, mm-hmm. they, they were kind of developing an interim position uh, to get them engaged with the community. And he's like, wait, 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 we might have a job for you. Um, and it really was the work that I was doing at the National Cathedral. Um, and it, it literally fell into my lap like manna. Um, I didn't know they were thinking about hiring someone else. Um, I don't think they were even really thinking about hiring someone at that point, really, until I had left law school. Um, I, I really do feel like it was pretty divinely ordained. Um, and so, yeah, so now I'm, you know, a, almost a year later um, working on this job. So then what next? Right. So I enrolled in the fall into our discernment class. It's called Exploring Your Spiritual Journey. That'll end in May. And that's something in the in the diocese? What diocese? Yes. Is that? Yeah. Diocese of Mission. Okay. So, so here in the Diocese of Fond du Lac, we have something called the Circles of Light, which is a diocesan discernment um, thing for both kind of people who are discerning a call to ordained ministry, but, mm-hmm. but also who are just wanting to figure out um, an answer to some big question that they have in their life. So it's not necessarily for ordained life. And once you go through that, then it splits off into two different tracks, one kind of for ordained ministry and one for lay ministry and, and kind of anything else. Mm-hmm. So, is does is that kind of what you're talking yeah. about, like a diocesan? Yeah, it's we have a uh, it's called the Whitaker Institute that offers continuing education, continuing education, different stuff um, mm-hmm. all throughout the diocese, and this is one of the classes that they offer. Um, yeah, so, so you have a, a cohort. It's it's several people. You and yes. how many we other have, people? Um, well, this is actually our smallest class. So there's me and two other people taking the class with two facilitators. So altogether, there's five of us. I think in years past, there were like 20 or 30, wow. uh, which I'm super okay with. I really like the intimacy um, mm-hmm. that it's been able to foster in our class. But Do you think that's the, the small class sizes because you're, you've been in the middle of a, a bishop transition, right? You just have a, a new yes. bishop just a, a few weeks ago? Yeah, it hasn't even been um, a month. She was consecrated Feb- in February this month. Mm. So do you think that that transition was part of what has kind of kept this class size small, or is it just the rhythm of things? I think it was just the way things worked out. Yeah. Uh, the class was still being offered just as usual as it was in the past. Um, and I, I, I think it just was coincidence that maybe a big flock of people weren't signing up to take it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I've taken, I am, I'm nearing the end of this class and I was, I was apprehensive at taking it at first because I thought, why can't I just get to, you know, the congregation discernment committee? I know this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, I kind of had a bad attitude about it. Um, but it's really forced me to take a year and to be really introspective Kind of with every, you know, like I said, finishing the spiritual journey paper of mine that I've been doing. Um, 
you know, looking at everything that led up to this point, um, all these circumstances and experiences and why I think, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, and in doing that, you know, after, you know, darn, the darn vicar at the National Cathedral, I love her to death, um, opened those floodgates, you know, now I'm searching back and looking at things and thinking, you know, um, you know, I, I, I've had several distinct feelings of a call to some sort of ordained ministry in the church um, several times. I think the first one, well, I mean, I used to play, we used to, I used to force everyone in daycare when I was little. Um, we'd play church and I naturally was the priest. Um, <laughs> did so, you use Ritz crackers? I used Ritz crackers and grape juicy juice when I did that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I probably did something. We probably used goldfish or something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. So doing that from a really young age, which I really kind of had forgotten about um, until I really started unpacking things or um, in ooh, my freshman year of college, you know, really feeling in the midst of kind of all of this, you know, unpacking of stuff about the faith, I felt like I had a call and I figured, well, Nazarene church has been pretty good so far. So I, I considered at that time um, changing my major um, and going into ordained ministry. Um, and then my junior year of college again, um, really this is the um, most powerful call that I had was I was sitting um, in our, by then we had an apartment sitting in our apartment next to this best friend of mine, whose mom passed away in January, this best friend of mine, same best friend. Um, and I was working on something and I, I was just thinking about like, good golly grief, like how much I love St. Paul's and what I'm doing. And it's so great. Um, I just love being an Episcopalian. And I was just thinking about it all. And all of a sudden I didn't hear a voice. Um, you know, it wasn't some big revelation. It was as if suddenly like somebody turned on a light bulb and I was like, I, I, and my friend remembers this. I was actually just talking to him the other day. Um, I turned to him, he was on the other couch and I said, Micah, I said, I'm supposed to be a priest. And his response kind of was like, well, yeah, like, you know, we've all been, you know, we, we all knew it. Like, when were you going to figure it out? (laughs) Um, and that's really the most powerful experience that I've had. Um, yeah, it was literally as if suddenly everything made sense. You so, know? you know, I've I've done uh, a half dozen of these interviews now. Uh, and it's my own experience as well that other people see that vocation in us before we do. Right. What do you think it is that they see? Well, my, my grandpa always said... Um, and he passed away when I was two. He always said that boy's going to be a preacher or a politician. Um, naturally, I do not have the spiritual gifts, as I said earlier, to be a politician. Um, too honest. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've never really asked someone that before. Um, I've been told, I've been told that I'm, like the opposite of apathetic. I really don't know. It's not pathetic. Um, (laughs) that I, that I'm really good at, um, like listening to people, um, and 
that they feel as if there's a, you know, we have this connection. Um, and for the better part of my life, people have always come to me with advice on stuff. Um, not necessarily spiritual, um, but I, I think, you know, it's nothing of nothing that I do. It's all grace. Um, I think people feel that I'm genuine. Um, I think I may, I, what you see is what you get. Um, and I also think too, you, you know, when you grow up in the church long enough, how do I say this without sounding offensive? You begin to see who's faking it and who's not. It's, it becomes easier to see. Um, and I, I hope, I, w- I hope people would say um, that they see my faith as very real in my life, that I do take it seriously. Um, that we can call that a gift of discernment. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not really good at talking about what my strengths are. Um, but some, I mean, I haven't laundered money ever. I, <laughs> I don't have a drug ring going around. Um, no, but I, I, I don't know. It's uh, several people throughout my life have seen it. Um, I've called it out and I just wasn't willing to listen to it. Um, I remember, wow, I actually didn't even think about this until just this very minute. Um, we went on a mission trip in high school and to Guatemala. And afterwards we came back and um, were kind of giving like little testimonies of what happened. And I remember I went up and gave mine. It was probably two or three minutes long, probably less than that. Um, and I remember afterwards, everyone asking my parents, you know, this is right before I go to college. They're like, he doesn't want, you know, this is the Nazarene church. He doesn't want to be a preacher. Like, are you serious? You know, we think there's something here. Um, so all of these kind of like confirmations or little hints or, oh, you're not. I thought, you know, everyone at my college thought I was a theology major, mainly because I took all the theology classes I could. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's interesting to consider all the circumstances and experiences um, to the fact that, you know, I had this kind of natural love for the Episcopal Church that brought me in there. And because of that, I wandered into the National Cathedral by chance um, and had that internship. And it just so happened that when law school didn't work out because of my experiences at the National Cathedral, um, you know, I, I was able to be hired working for a church. So, hmm. so what have you learned about your, hmm, about the way that God leads you to where you need to go? Well, thus far, you know, my wise old age of 23, um, <laughs> I, I've started discovering you know, and this is this this will change now that I say it. I typically God typically speaks to me through or shows me things through experiences, or you know phases of life. How you know, um, and it's I, I'll admit I cannot be one of those people and sit down and say, well, right now God is telling me that you know A, B, and C. That's what God's telling me. I'm more of the person where if I look back, 
and look, look at things from, you know, um, with a little bit of hindsight, um, I can say, well, I, I think this is, you know, I think this is where God's directing me. So. Well, we have chewed up a good chunk of time. So I'm going to take you to that final question. Final. The one about the pop culture recommendation. What do you have for us? A book, movie, music, video game, app, comic book. Definitely not a comic book. Not um, a comic book reader. I've no. never read a comic book. Oh. Um, <laughs> probably would be a book, and it's been out for quite a while. Um, it's called The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. Um, hmm. It's one of the best books I've I've read. Um, actually, they just made a movie about it not too long ago, but it's about her growing up um, basically with hippie parents and moving all over the country um, and the un- instability um, and basically what she learned from all of that. Um, so it's kind of an autobiography on her childhood, kind of growing up as a nomad. So, and it, very applicable to what we just talked about, you know, gathering experiences and maybe callings from, you know, things that we've had when we've grown up. So. All right. Well, I will track that down and put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if you want them to get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on Facebook as Cam Walker. Um, if you look for the guy with dark hair that looks like me in the profile picture, um, just <laughs> add me and, you know, shoot me a message or um, Instagram, the okay. underscore Insta underscore Cam. Um, <laughs> Twitter, Cam Walker 20. I mean, I'm pretty much on everything. I'm 23, right? So yeah, yeah. I have a TikTok, but I don't, I don't post videos on TikTok. So, I mean, go and follow me there, but you'll never see anything. So, yeah. I'm surprised you're still on Facebook. All the kids in my youth group have basically, they only have Facebook because their parents say, well, we need to reach you somehow. (laughs) I got Facebook for, I think for job purposes when I was at the National Cathedral to kind of stay in connection with people afterwards. So, yeah, they all have their pros and cons. Yeah. You didn't give up all the social media for Lent? No, I gave up yeah. sweets. So, sweets? Yeah. And part of my job yeah. is to manage our social media stuff. Oh, um, yeah. And so I figured that wouldn't really be a good thing to give up. So I also more or less gave up both sweets and alcohol for, for Lent. Uh, so we're going over to someone's house for dinner tonight. And um, I was informed that at first uh, I was supposed to bring along some of the cider that I ferment, um, which is alcoholic cider. And then I was told that actually I I shouldn't bring that after all, that I should bring dessert. So so what I did, uh, the youth group, after Ash Wednesday every year, um, the youth group uh, goes along to uh, the local Dairy Queen, and they all have ice cream mm-hmm. there. Which, uh, is is that in the spirit of Ash Wednesday? I don't know, but that's what they do. And, and it's the bribery that our youth minister uses to get the kids to come along to the Ash Wednesday service. Um, most of them are not Christian, really, mm-hmm. but they come to youth group because um, – it's somewhere safe for them to be. And a lot of the kids need somewhere safe to be at least one night a week. Um, so yeah, so we all went to dairy queen and, and got ice cream. I got French fries to break my fast. Uh, 
It's like the only non-sweet, non-meat thing on the menu. Was yeah, sounds right. about right. So that's what I ate. Um, and while I was there, I walked right past the case with all of the ice cream cakes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I have not had a Dairy Queen ice cream cake in years. And so that's what I'm bringing uh, tonight to this to this party. An Oreo, 8-inch Oreo oh, ice cream cake. I'll take that any day over alcohol. I mean, yeah. hands down, like... So I, I, I will, you know, I don't want to be a rude guest. So right, of course. I'll have to have a piece. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for talking to me about uh, your whole life story and, uh, and your calling. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for listening to my conversation with Cam. Again, if you'd like to get in touch with him, be sure to look in the show notes for links to all the ways to reach him on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can reach me on Twitter at Apple Tree Pods. And on Facebook, you can find a page if you search for Apple Tree Podcasts. Feel free to like and subscribe and review and share this with anyone who might be interested. The intro music is called Cheerful by Bird, Bird, Bird. And the closing music that you can hear in the background now is called St. Mary's Falls by Tom Ganaway. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a safe and holy Lent, and I hope that you and your loved ones stay safe and secure with all this uh, coronavirus stuff going around. I'm Chris Arnold. And I will talk to you next time on This Calling. Bye for now.